Thanks, Ray. <clears throat> good morning. It's good to see you. Now, let's just raise a hand here if you have seats next to you, or put maybe two or three where you have. There's seats up here. The second row is pretty open. The front row, it's sketchy, but it's good. There's a couple seats over there. There's a couple seats over here. If you guys can <clears throat> squish, maybe you see some area in the middle. Maybe scoot to one side, and we'll get, to, we'll get everyone to squeeze in together. It's, it's family-friendly service today, right? So it's cozy today, and that's, that's good. We're glad to do that. Uh, I am so glad you're here. I, I, I love Celebration Sundays, and I know some don't, and I get that, but I love that we can all be together, that we can squeeze in, that we can see each other, we can get to know people that maybe weren't, uh, weren't in our service originally, right? They were 11, 11-15ers, and you're an 830-er, and, or vice versa. So that's an awesome thing. So thank you for coming and attending. And, and with our Celebration Sundays, I want to make sure you know the heart about, my heart about this and the church's heart. Uh, when we say family-friendly and, and we say there's no, no children's church and no nursery, it's not because we're calloused. It's because we love our family to be together. So we design our Celebration Sundays to be able to, to be, be free to have our kids in with us. Uh, I want our kids to stay. I want them to squawk if they're going to squawk, whatever they need to do. Uh, we break up the service order, so we have some preaching and some singing and some preaching and some singing and a little kids' service and some more singing. And, and so it's just a really great opportunity for us uh, to, to break it up, to change it up, but also to allow our whole family to be here and be part of it and to experience that. So please don't feel that you're, uh, you're a burden if your kid is maybe talking or standing or dancing in the aisle, okay? <laughs> if you do feel like that they are a burden, you can certainly take them out to, to the lobby or to the, the cry room on the side, but uh, that's up to you, okay? We're glad that you're here. Uh, we are going to start our sermon right now for our final uh, psalm of the summer, and we're going to turn to Psalm chapter 11, if you would. Psalm chapter 11. <clears throat> It is a great day today, right? There's no, no smoke, at least that we can tell in the air. It's a beautiful day. Amen, right? Yeah. So I, I really do hope that you stick around for the, uh, the potluck afterwards. If you, even if you didn't bring something, we have, we have lots and lots of tri-tip, lots and lots of chicken, uh, and lots and lots of side dishes already brought. So we'd love to have you stick around and be part of that. You have a question, Lois? Okay. Out of here. Yeah, blow that smoke away. Yeah, we're excited about that, but we do have lots of tables set up outside as well and in the fellowship hall, so lots of room for all of our families to run around and have fun together and connect. I really hope you connect today with other people, uh, maybe get to know someone you don't know that well. All right, so Psalm chapter 11, if you turn there in your Bible with me, Psalm chapter 11. <clears throat> today we're going to finish up the summer uh, of 2018, right, with, uh, with the final psalm of, of the summer of 2018, Psalm 11, and then we'll have our barbecue and, and fellowship uh, afterwards. Um, psalm 11 is, is a a psalm that reveals kind of a battle, an inner battle <clears throat> within us to, to trust in or to not trust in the promises of God. <clears throat> so whatever David was facing uh, as he wrote this, um, it was one of those things that the people around him, his counsel, and it could be people that you may, you may trust or may confide in, or it may be people that you consider your enemy. Either way, these people are telling him, you need to flee, you need to, you need to be scared, you need to get away. And, and he is just in, in that decision saying, you know, I'm going to trust in the Lord. I'm going to, I'm going to, my strength is going to come from the Lord. So uh, we're going to see that today as we go through uh, this psalm. We're going to see God as our rescuer, as our, as our refuge, as our savior, as our redeemer. Um, and when turmoil and fear hit us and, and circle all around us, uh, we, we can see today in the psalm that answers the question, what can the righteous do? What can the righteous do? And, and we're going to see that question posed from, from someone else, and, and we're going to get that answer today. So what can the righteous do? And number one, I changed it already on it. I changed it from the first draft 
and then I put it in your notes, and then from the notes, I changed it to something else. So you can scratch out number one in your notes. It's not right. I mean, it is, but it's, it's just not quite what I felt God was wanting us to, to hear today. Uh, so number one is this. What can the righteous do? Number one is uh, we can challenge the lies of fear with the truth. We can challenge the lies of fear with the truth. And I, I don't know if you've heard that song on the radio, Fear is a Liar, recently. It's a really great song. It's really kind of been a theme. You know, as we go through Psalm 2, I, I see it in my heart and I reflect on it myself saying, you know, when fear creeps in, that, that's Satan trying to, to, to get me off course, right? That's Satan trying to say, you don't really trust God, right? And, and go, go back to the Garden of Eden, the very original lie that was spoke. Did God really say? See, Satan is always challenging what God says is true. And, and he'll do that for us too. And, and so fear will creep in and he'll be challenging us. Is God really the refuge you think he is? Is God really the place of safety that you think you'll find? And we think, well, oh, is he? I don't know. Well, uh, maybe I should go to blank. Fill in the blank. We run to all kinds of different things and let, and let those try to be our safety net or, or our comfort. And they aren't. They, can, they only disappoint so what can the righteous do? Well, we can challenge those lies of fear with the truth. Let's go ahead and read the, the psalm in its entirety. Uh, let's pray first. I'm getting a little ahead of myself, right? Let's pray, and then we'll read the scripture. Father, thank you so much for your great love for us. We thank you for this opportunity to come together today uh, as just the united body of Christ, God, uh, and, and that we could celebrate with one another, shoulder to shoulder, uh, all that you are to us. We thank you for Jesus and the sacrifice he made on the cross for our sin. We thank you that by his wounds we are healed. God, today as we look to your word, may you open our hearts and our minds. May we, we, may we be receptive to your truth, that you would challenge us and change us. You'd call us to repentance, God, and that we would be restored to you in a right relationship, in a face-to-face -face relationship where we can trust wholly in you. We thank you and praise you today in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're in Psalm chapter 11. It's, it's short and sweet. Let's read the whole thing together. It says, I have taken refuge in the Lord. Can I get an amen? Yeah. Amen. I have taken refuge in the Lord. How can you say to me, escape to the mountains like a bird? For look, the wicked string bows. They put arrows on bowstrings to shoot from the shadows at the upright in heart. When the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord, his throne is, uh, his throne is in heaven. His eyes watch. His gaze examines everyone. The Lord examines the righteous, but he hates the wicked and those who love violence. Let him rain burning coals and sulfur on the wicked. Let a scorching wind be the portion in their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright will see his face. So let's, let's go through this. You know, it's interesting that that first part in verses 1 through 3 uh, David says, I have taken refuge in the Lord. I have taken refuge in the Lord. And that's just a statement that, that's solid. This is, where, this is where my hope is. This is where I know I'm safe. It's in the Lord. And, and granted, we, we know we've seen deliverance uh, of God's people. And, and even in our own lives, we've seen God deliver us and rescue us out of, out of harmful situations, out of tough times, out of turmoil. But that's not always the ultimate promise of God, is it? The ultimate promise of God is I look at your heart and I can secure it. I can, I can save it. I can rescue it. And I can give it a, a hope and a future and a comfort that you can never have anywhere else. That if you really want your heart to be safe and secure, run to me because I am the refuge for your heart. 
So whether we trust in God, and we should trust in God day to day in our circumstances, that through our trials and our troubles, he will refine us, he will grow us, but ultimately through those things, our affections for him will grow, our faith in him will grow, and our hope in spending eternity in him will suffice. So David says, I have taken refuge in the Lord. And then he poses a question. You know, the question here is, what can the righteous do? Well, look, look at what he says here in the, ver- the second part of verse, uh, verse 1. He says, how can you say to me? You see, this is a challenge, isn't it? This is a challenge against lies. It's a challenge against what fear would pre- present as truth. David says, I've taken refuge in the Lord. How can you tell me there's something different? How can you say to me, escape to the mountains like a bird? For look, the wicked string bows and put their arrows on bowstrings to shoot from the shadows at the upright in heart. When the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? You see, this is that, that quote. This is the suggestion from, from those nearby David, those, those advisors of David saying, what are you going to do? You can't do anything, David. You're going to get wrecked. It's not going to work. And he says, how can you say that to me? Because I have taken refuge in the Lord. So we challenge the lies of fear with the truth. A couple things we know about the truth in here, a couple things we can see in the truth here is this, that he, you know that he rescues. You know that God is the one who rescues. When David says that he has taken refuge in the Lord, he is saying there's nowhere else, nothing else that can satisfy, nothing else that can save me, nothing else that can do anything for me. I've taken refuge in the Lord. <clears throat> it is only God who rescues. And that's the, that's the message of the gospel, isn't it? The message of the gospel is that only God is good enough. Only God is big enough. <clears throat> only God can take away the sin that we could never remove on our own or pay for on our own without our own blood. Only he can accomplish that. So while, while we <clears throat> kick and scream and try to dig our way out of this pit, we will never, ever reach the top without Jesus Christ. And see, it's in, it's in his sufficiency, that it's in his rescue, it's in him being our redemption that we have salvation and rescue, that we have refuge and peace, that we find hope and joy. It's in Jesus Christ. You see, he's done all the work necessary. Why would I go? How can you tell me to find, find it somewhere else? How could I ever be more secure than I am in Christ alone? And then we trust, we go on, we trust that, that nothing can separate us from him. You see, when, when David says, I run to the Lord, I, 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 I take refuge in the Lord, it's not this far off like idea or hope or, or I'm, I'm aspiring to know and, and cling to something that one day I maybe will, will realize. He has come to know Jesus, come to know his, his Lord as God in a personal way, in a close way where God is not far off. And we see in Romans where, where Paul exhorts us that, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Right? Not height or depth or, or angels or demons or any created thing. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. You might need to escape current trouble, but the Lord will never remove himself from you. So in the midst of that trouble, in the midst of that turmoil, God is near. And we need to also remind ourselves of God's call, of God's call. God's call in our, our lives, and here's what I mean, is God has put this firm foundation for us to stand on, and he's, he's sealed that in our heart with, with Christ. That, that we can have hope, that we can have assurance in him. And we remind ourselves of this call. This call is, there's nowhere else you can turn. There's nothing else that will satisfy. There's no one or nothing else that will save. Only 
Jesus can. So we get reminded of that call, that call to say, for us that we can say, how can I go anywhere else? God has drawn me into, the, into his refuge through the power of the blood of Christ, and that's where I will stand on a firm foundation. How can I go anywhere else? Now, I, I have to, I don't know about you, I have to look in the mirror once in a while and say, Brandon, how can you turn to something else? Like, wh- where, what do you think you're doing? Why are, you, why are you questioning that? God has been so gracious and so good to draw you into that relationship with him, to save you and forgive you of your sin. How can you start to believe there's something better? And David knew that, right? So we remind ourselves of this call that God has placed in our heart to stay put, to stay right where he is, because that's where we're safe, this call in this refuge of his salvation. And it's a call to obedience. How, how can you tell me there's something better? I am going to stand here and trust God. <clears throat> I want to read a passage out of Nehemiah. You don't have to turn there. Uh, we, and we studied the book of Nehemiah, so if you wanted to get more context, you can go in the sermons online and listen to it. But Nehemiah 6, and I, I've used this before, it's a great, great passage. Nehemiah is rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem, and, and there's these guys, these hoodlums that are trying to wreck what he's doing, and, and they want to harm him. And, and, and they want to kind of cover that up by saying, well, we just want to meet with you, we want to talk to you, we want to, we want to reason this out, because they don't want him to, to rebuild the walls. They don't want to see Jerusalem flourish, they want to see Jerusalem theirs. And here's what happens, uh, Nehemiah 6, 1 through 4, it says, When Sambalah, Tobiah, Geshem, and Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and no gap was left in it, though at that time I had not installed the doors in the city gates, Sambalah and Geshem sent me a message. Come, let's meet together in the villages uh, of the Ono, ono Valley. Now, that's what they said. The message was, let's meet. Right? And see, this is that, that's that lie. We see David up above it. This, the people around him say, escape to the mountains. Go get safety. Try to, try to compromise in some way. What, what they're saying is, come down from where God has positioned you and, and the strength that he has for you. Come down from that, because that truth isn't really solid. There's a better truth. There's a bigger truth to be had, right? That's what the lie says. And, and, and he understood that, okay, well, yeah, they, they want to reason, they want to talk. But what he says next is, is, they were planning to harm me. He knew they were planning to harm him. And see, you and I should know that. When, when someone lies and says, come on down, you, you don't have to trust God. You don't have to be firmly, firmly planted. You should escape to your, your other comfort. Go there. And, and it might sound reasonable at first. It might sound like we want to kind of work this out and it might be better in the long run. But what we should know ultimately in the long run is it is meant to harm us. It is meant to take us away from that, that security and that hope and that trust we have in our refuge, in our God. It's meant to take us away from that. And Nehemiah responded, so I sent messengers to them saying, this is really important. This is like one of my life things, right? I hope you underline this one day. I am doing an important work and cannot come down. I am doing an important work and cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same proposal. Four times the lie came in. Let's reason. Let's talk. Let's figure this out. Let's, let's compromise. Four times. And I gave them the same reply. I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. And see, for you and I, that that if we want to answer that question, what can the righteous do when we're bombarded with fear and lies and, and, and the, the temptation to go somewhere else and compromise? What can we do? Well, we challenge those lies of fear with the truth, knowing that the great work God has called us to, first of all, the great refuge he has called us to, namely himself through his son Jesus Christ, is the only rescuer, the only salvation that is secure and that will satisfy ever. 
And then as he calls us there and he places us on that firm foundation that is Christ. It is immovable, unshakable. And the lies and fear come in and say, well, maybe it's not. Maybe there's something else or something better you can have. And we are to say, no way. God has called me here. He's placed me here. I am doing a great work. Maybe that great work today is just trusting in the Lord. Maybe that great work is saying, God, I'm going to trust you. 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 God, I trust you. Maybe that great work is some kind of great work God has called you to, that you're serving and you're, you're, you're loving people towards Jesus, that you're working for kingdom purposes. Respond with truth. I am doing what God has called me to do. I will not come down from there. See, Satan wants us to be ruined by making us question our trust in God. When our faith is firmly planted and when our faith is secure in his promises, our fears decrease and our focus on God's call in our hearts and our lives can then increase and become more clear. Amen? That's the first part. Let's pray and uh, I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up and we'll, we'll sing some more songs. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your love. I thank you so much for not only your love that you give us through Christ, God, as you want to draw us to yourself and, and to forgive us of sin and, and to draw us into a relationship with you. But God, I, I thank you so much for firmly planting us on a solid foundation, on the truth. And God, as, as these arrows fly from the evil one, as these temptations come, as, as fear presents itself and lies to us every single day, God, give us a strength to challenge those lies with the truth and hope of Jesus Christ. May we answer, how can you say to me that something else is the truth when Jesus is my strength? We thank you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So going back to our illustration with our children, it was a lot for us too, right? You know, when, when, David, when David put the question out there and said, um, how can you tell me there's safety somewhere else? I'm pretty resolved in my own heart that there's not safety in sharks. How can you tell me any different? I mean, you know, I've seen, I've even seen those videos, you've seen them, where they have the shark cage, and they don't work. Like, I, I'm just, and I've seen Jaws, so I'm, I'm, I know, I know better, right? <laughs> Hollywood, that's right, yeah. It's a lie, it's a lie. So there you go. How can you say to me, how can you tell me something different? So just to, to recap, for our first point there, we, we talked about what can the righteous do? And the first one was to challenge the lies of fear with the truth. Uh, our second point and final point is this. What can the righteous do? We can know that we will behold his face. That, that, that we have a personal relationship and the, or the opportunity to have a personal relationship and friendship with Almighty God. And we will behold his face. And part of that also, knowing that, is knowing that others will behold his face as well. Those who may want to cause turmoil or those who want to say there is no God. One day, every knee will behold his face, right? Every knee will bow as they behold his face. And every tongue confess that he is Lord. But you and I have that opportunity now to say, yes, he is Lord. I believe that he is Lord, that he has died in my place as a substitute on that cross for my sins. And I, I want to trust in him, not bringing anything of me to the table, leaving all that behind. That's that repentance coming empty to him with no agenda, except I want him. He is the greatest treasure we could ever have. And, and we embrace Christ. We believe in Christ and let him be our ultimate refuge and we behold his face and see for you and I who have made that decision as we make that choice to believe the gospel and to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ there is a relationship we have now entered into that is a relationship of love and we can't wait to see his face and I want you to think about your own families or your own friends or your own maybe your spouse or your kids I mean I, I love 
my family. And when I, when I get off work or have the opportunity to go home for a break or go home for lunch, I can't wait to see their faces because there's a love relationship there. But when there's not a relationship there, not a love relationship there, there's a little apprehension in beholding their face, right? You may not know someone. You get a little antsy and you have to wear name tags. It's kind of hard, right? But for you and I, we, we've trusted in Christ. For those who have, we've, we've put our faith in him and believe the gospel, believe Jesus Christ as our Savior. He has given us a hope and let us enter into a personal relationship, a friendship with him. And it's amazing. So we will behold his face. I want to read the, the rest of this passage, verses 4 through 7 together, and we'll kind of break it apart a little bit, okay? It, it, it's more of an answer. It's an answer now. He's answering back to the, all those basically lies that were presented. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord, his throne is in heaven. His eyes watch. His gaze examines everyone. The Lord examines the righteous but hates the wicked and those who love violence. Let him rain burning coals and sulfur on the wicked. Let a scorching wind be the portion in their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright will see his face. The Lord, it says the Lord right there, right? The Lord whose name is emphatically stated and reiterated. This is the Lord Jehovah, the great I am, or Yahweh God, right? It's the great I am. It's that name for God. I am who I am. It's emphatically stated and it's reiterated and it dwarfs, it dwarfs the fears of the enemy. See, the fears of the enemy crept in and David said, wait a minute, I, I've beheld a face that's greater than this enemy. I've seen God who's greater than my enemy. He says, the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord, uh, his throne is in heaven. He's saying, listen, my God's got this. My God's got this taken care of. He, he knows what's going on. David is assured, as we should be, that the king of kings in, is, is in his residence. He is not absent. He is not far away. He is not fleeing, like the, like the text encourages David to do. And his city is one with a firm foundation. God is not going anywhere. The temptation for us is to flee and to run and to trust something else that seems more comfortable, maybe even more logical, but it's less secure than what we are looking for and, and what we have found in God. Uh, Hebrews 11.10 11, says this about Abraham. He's talking about faith. He understands he can sacrifice his son Isaac, and, and he says, Here, here's why. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. He, even though God promised him a, 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 to be father of many nations and that he'd have many children, and that through Isaac this would just blow up, right? All, all these people would come forth. He was not trusting in his own ability, his own knowledge, his own logic, his own reason to trust God. He was trusting in God. He wasn't trusting in himself to build that foundation. He trusted that God had already built it. He was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is Abraham? No, it's God, right? It's God. Satan wants you to trust in yourself and what you can accomplish and what you can build, but whatever you can accomplish and whatever you can build will not last. Only what God builds will last. And we turn. We turn to idols. We turn to things that are, that are inanimate objects, right? I'm going to read a passage out of Habakkuk chapter 2. Uh, you can follow along with me if you'd like, but Habakkuk chapter 2, 18 to 20, it says this. What use is a carved idol after its craftsman carves it? It is only a cast image, a teacher of lies. For the one who crafts its shape, trust in it, 
and makes idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to wood, wake up, or to a mute stone, come alive. Can it teach? Look, it may be plated with gold and silver, yet there is no breath in it at all. And finally, verse 20, but, right, there's my, my was it conjunction, contraction, I don't know. There's the, the but, right? It's the connecting word. But God, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let the whole earth be silent in his presence. You see, we, we run after things. We run after things that might be more reasonable or more logical to us in a human standpoint, even more comfortable, but they can do nothing like what our God can do. Habakkuk says, but the Lord is in his holy temple. He's a living God. He actually exists and lives and reigns. Let the whole earth be silent in his presence. What use is it placing our hopes and our trust in something that's not Jesus Christ? There is no use. There's no life found there, but there is life found in him. And that's why we rejoice. That's why we have hope. That's why we gather to sing his praises. Today, you've noticed we're, we're serving, and we've said it, we're serving the Lord's Supper today. We're partaking in and sharing in the Lord's Supper. In a little while, I'm going to ask those guys to come forward, not yet, but in a little while, we're going we're to be served and going to just, just really reflect on what God has done for us and who God is to us. And I think, I, I really want you to understand, that is an opportunity and a time for us to put our trust fully back in God. To stop trusting in stuff around you, maybe stuff you built, maybe stuff you bought, maybe stuff that comforts you. Stop putting your faith and trust and hope somewhere else that will always disappoint. When we partake in the Lord's Supper, what we're saying is there is someone who will never disappoint. There is someone who has gone to the cross and has done everything that necessary, that, something we, that, that we have never even imagined accomplishing. He has accomplished. And we celebrate Him. We celebrate Him as our strength, as our refuge, as our hope. We go to him in faith and trust him because there's life found in him. Because the earth is silenced by our one true God, we have to humble ourselves before his authority. And we have to rest in the sacrifice of Christ as our refuge and our redeemer and our rescuer. You see, that, that's, what, that's what it's meant. When we come together, it's, it should be every day that I continue to humble myself. I put myself in the place saying, God, I'm not going to put my trust in anything else. And if I have, help me to bring it back right here to center, right here on the foundation that is of Christ, on the life, on the breath that is Christ, on the reign of God forever in heaven, that my hope is secure there, that he is our refuge, that he is our redeemer. Going on in that passage, we go back to that, uh, Psalm 11. So verse 4, the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord, his, his throne is in heaven. It says, his eyes watch, his gaze examines everyone. It's a bit scary, isn't it? But that, there's a vulnerability in that that we have entered into. And as we, as we understand that God is gazing, God is looking, God is watching, God sees the depth of our heart. And as we, as we acknowledge that, we humbly come to the cross and say, you, you know me inside and out. And you know greater than anyone, God, that I need you. And nothing else will do. He watches. And last week we, we saw like in Scripture, in, the, in Psalm 10, we, we thought that maybe, maybe God falls silent or maybe he's hiding his face. 
but he's not, is he? He's not hiding his face. And we see that here in the Psalm 11. It's, he, his eyes watch, his gaze examines everyone. So he's examining the heart. And I, I know what that felt like. I remember what that felt like when my heart was examined and laid open before him. And he, he saw every gory detail. It was shameful. I was ashamed. But I was humbled to a place of, God, I know that you still love me. And you still went to the cross for me. And you still died for me that I could have life. In the middle of my shame, in the middle of my guilt, in the middle of my despair, you did what I could never do. And see, right now, he is patient. He's watching. His eyes are examining everyone. And he's patiently giving all of us an opportunity. An opportunity for the righteous to continue to live by faith. And, a, and an opportunity for the wicked to repent and come to faith. And I, I, I hate to use that word, you know, wicked. And I hate to say hate because it's in our text, right? But it's there. If we have not believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and let him be our Savior and Redeemer, we are still the wicked. We are still those who are rebelling against God, who are doing the opposite of what God wants us to do, who are putting our trust and our hope and our faith in a place that isn't him and can never satisfy. But he watches and he's examining your heart. He's, he's drawing you to himself. He, he wants you to know him. He wants you to know forgiveness. He wants you to humble yourself and come to faith. Verse 5, the Lord examines the righteous but hates the wicked and those who love violence. There is, this, there is this hate because he is righteous. There is this hate against wickedness, against sin, against evil. And God is just and righteous and holy, and he can't allow that in his presence. So he has to carry out justice on the wicked. Right? And, and if we left the story there, it'd be like, I don't want anything to do with that, God. Let's just, let's just be wicked. But what did he do? He said, I, I can't, I, I'm going to carry out justice on Jesus for you. I'll carry out the justice that you deserve. He carried out the justice that I deserved. And he put it on his son, Jesus Christ. And it pleased him to crush Jesus in order to love us. That he took the penalty. He took the punishment. So we could have life forever. And that's the beauty of the gospel. That's the hope of the gospel. That's how he is our deepest redeemer. Verse 6 says, Let him rain burning coals and sulfur on the wicked. Let a scorching wind be the portion in their cup. It gets, this gets deep, doesn't it? This is the fire and brimstone verse, right? Fire and brimstone, that's sulfur. People say, oh, well, I don't want to talk about fire and brimstone. This is just reality of what's going to happen. But listen, I, I want you to understand, he put that pressure on Jesus. Jesus went into the fire for us. So it didn't have to rain down on us. That, that portion, the scorching wind is a portion in our cup. Who do you think swallowed that cup? Jesus Christ. He went, remember, to the Garden of Gethsemane. He was on his, on his knees, on his face, praying to God, like dropping sweats of blood or sweat drops of blood. And he, and he said, God, if you can remove this cup from me. It was a cup he willingly wanted to bear, but it wasn't his cup. It was your cup and my cup. It was what we deserved. And he said, I'll, I'll do it. Not my will, your will be done. I'll do it. If, it, if it's going to love them, if it's going to love the Father, if it's going to glorify you, God, I'm going to do it. And see, Jesus went to glorify the Father, went to the cross, glorifying the Father, and taking your place and taking my place, taking my fire and brimstone and taking your fire and brimstone, taking the cup of scorching wind that you deserved and that I deserved, and he swallowed it up right there so that you and I could be free, so that you and I could have life. But you got to get over yourself. The wicked continue to say, there's no refuge in God, there's no help in God, there's no rescue in God, there's no redemption in God, and they are wrong. And they lie to us. And we have found refuge and strength in the Lord. We have found salvation and redemption in Him. The Lord God took His hate and His wrath and He placed it on Jesus who suffered and drank the cup of judgment so we wouldn't have to. And today as we 
come to the cup and come to the table to partake of the bread as we, as we, we remember what Jesus did. We are coming here humbly thankful that he bore that burden. Amen? That he bore that shame, he bore that guilt, that he took that cup and he, he drank it himself on that cross. See, we can be made righteous by the blood of Christ shed on our behalf and by his body given in our place. Look at the last part of that verse, verse six and seven, or verse seven. The Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright will see his face. Now, I want you to understand something. This is not about you being all, all awesome, because you're not all awesome. We're not awesome. When we, when we look back in the first part of Psalm 11, uh, where at the end of, uh, let's read it, verses 1 through 3. I've taken refuge in the Lord. Who, who's he taking refuge in? The Lord, not himself. He's not taking refuge in his own righteousness. I've taken refuge in the Lord. How can you say to me, escape to the mountains like a bird? For, I, for look, the wicked string bows and put arrows on their bowstrings to shoot from the shadows at the upright in heart. When the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Well, and, and maybe that's, that's trying to tempt you and say, well, you're, what can the righteous do? You're righteous. You're, you're okay. You're doing good. You're doing good on your own. What, what can you do? You need to flee. But see, we don't have a righteousness that is ours, do we? We have a righteousness that is the Lord's. We have trusted ourselves to the Lord. Amen? And he has given us a righteousness that we can never, ever achieve on our own. And in verse 7, for the Lord is what? Righteous. The Lord is righteous. Not, not you, not me. The Lord is righteous. And if we are righteous, it is only because he has given us his righteousness. Nothing in me is good except for Jesus. Except for his righteousness. The Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright will see his face. He loves it when those righteous deeds, when we come to him saying, listen, I, I've got nothing. I need all of you. You fill me up. You change me. You, you give me and put on me a righteousness that is not my own, and then I, the upright, because of you, I am upright because of you, I'm righteous because of you, then I will see your face. And you and I will have that friendship, that love friendship, that I will, I will adore you with that. So what can the righteous do, we ask? Well, we can behold his face as a friend of God. Come face to face because of what was accomplished on the cross for us. And today as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, as we partake and share in that, we are identifying and remembering what Christ has done for us. Our trust and our reliance on Christ, it moves from this dispassionate awareness. If you want to talk about beholding the face, right? It's, it's, there's a dispassionate awareness, like, oh, I know you're here. But it, when we trust and have a reliance on Christ, it moves from that to a loving and close friendship. And when fear and, and it lies to us and when everything around us seems like it's closing in and and burdening us, and, it's, and we're just going to have to flee. God is there, and we will find our rest in Christ as our strength and our refuge. We'll find safety in him. He's already been crushed for us, hasn't he? He's already been bruised for us, so we could be free and have life. And that is, that's the beauty of the message of the gospel. At this point, I'm going to ask those who I've, I've asked to come serve the Lord's Supper, if you come up here and, and stand in front, gentlemen, the guys I've asked, come on forward. <clears throat> I'll give some instructions about this and uh, we'll read some, some scripture about this as well.
You guys will stand over here, three of you right here facing those guys, and three of you over here facing those guys. That'd be great. The, the band can come on up. Thank you. <clears throat> so we, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper as a, as a church family, and what we are working on doing that more often, by the way, we usually do it about quarterly right now, and the next time we're going to do it is right around Thanksgiving, but we will try to squeeze some more in there as well. Um, but when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we, we're, which we're commanded to do, which we're said, go and, and do this as, as often as you do this, remember me, remember what Christ has done. So we share with, with the bread and with the, the juice or like the wine, and we remember Christ's body, which was given and offered to us, right? And, and his blood, which was shed on the cross for us. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin, and we remember the depth of what Christ has done. And we remember that he is our refuge, right? He is our rescuer. He is our redeemer. He is our savior. And the way we do it in our church is we have these gentlemen, they'll pass out the elements. And we just would ask that you hold on to all those elements. We'll pass out the bread first, the little cracker, and then we'll pass out the cup. If you just hold on to those and uh, we'll do the bread first and we'll, we'll have a prayer and we partake of the bread. Then we'll pass out the cup. You hold on to it and we'll have a prayer and we'll all partake together. Uh, and then we will uh, we'll pray, and pray and sing some songs at the end just to worship God. But I really want you to understand this is a reflective time. And this is a reflective time for you to say, God, am I, am I placing my trust and my hope in the lies of Satan? Am I placing it in stuff and things that I shouldn't be placing it? Or, should, or am I placing it in Jesus? And I think all of us could answer that we're probably at times placing our hope in the wrong place. Placing our trust in the wrong place. So today, as, as the elements are passed, as the music is kind of playing quietly behind, I want you to reflect I want you to pray and go to God. God. God, remove that fear from me. Remove those lies from me. Invade me with the truth of the gospel message of Jesus Christ that there's only hope in the body and blood. There's only hope in a firm foundation that is Christ. For he reigns supreme. He is king of kings and lord of lords. So reflect on that as you do. Um, what we ask, if, if, you're, if you're here today and maybe you aren't a Christian, maybe you aren't a Christ follower, you haven't put your faith and trust and hope in Jesus, this, this doesn't mean anything to you personally. What we'd ask you to do is just pass the elements to the person next to you as it comes. Just, just pass and watch. Observe what we do. Observe how we remember. There's no judgment on that. We're glad that you're here. We're glad that you're here to hear the, the message of, of the gospel and the truth of God's word. But we'd ask that you pass it on. For some of you parents, right, you, you should know where your kids are at. You know what your kids need. I, obviously, this is a teachable moment for your family. Um, in, in my family, we, don't, we usually don't have our kids yet partake, but we tell them what we're doing until they understand that to the fullest. Like, yes, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to remember Jesus, okay? We don't, listen, and there's a temptation here to be perfect. When we come to the Lord's Supper, it is not because we're perfect, amen? It's because He is perfect. But it, it is certainly a time for reflection. It's not a time to, to make sure you're totally clean, because who made you totally clean? Jesus did. But you examine your own heart. You examine your own, your own faith and your own trust. Come purely to him saying, God, I want more of you and less of me. More of you and less of me. You've accomplished it all. I want more of you. Amen? Amen. Let's, let's pray together and we'll close. Father, thank you so much for your love and your grace and your goodness. We thank you that you are our refuge. And because of Jesus Christ and what he's accomplished on the cross and as we've trusted in him, we will never be the same again. We praise you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.